This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code CANDIDFRAME8. Hi, this is Ibarian X, and welcome to The Candid Frame. Well, today's guest is a photographer who I've been wanting to interview for for a while. He's uh, one of my favorite people out there, whether it's his photographs, whether it's his blog entries or his YouTube videos. He brings a real refreshing and an honest voice to the genre of photography. And Zach Arias is just one of those people that I think is very much needed. There's a, there's a lot of hype in this industry, and if not a lot of BS that happens. And anytime I have an opportunity to listen to Zach or read his, read his words, I'm always struck with the honesty, the frankness that he, he gives voice to when he's sharing about his own passion and his love for photography. And it's no less the case in his latest book, Photography Q&A, Real Questions, Real Answers, which was inspired initially by his blog entries. And it's, it's a book that I think any photographer should have on their, on their library shelf, whether they're aspiring to be a professional or not. Uh, it's just a, a great read and gives you some wonderful insight into what it means to be a want-to-be, a photographer. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Zach Arias. I, I, I want to thank you for, for sending me a copy of your book. I, uh, yes. And I, I, I finished it, and uh, I thought it was just a, a great book on a variety of different different counts. One of the things I love, I love about it is is the voice. It's, it's, it sounds just like you talk. And um, th- and that's not an easy thing coming from someone who's written a lot. Um, so I really commend you for being able to, to, to do that. Well, thank you. I, I think that just comes from I'm not a writer. Um, and I don't think like a writer. Um, in fact, I, I don't read a ton of books. I was having this conversation with my wife, who is just a voracious reader. And... Um, it's funny that, you know, the guy who doesn't read just wrote a book, but <laughs> the way I want to communicate with people is, is if we're sitting at a bar or coffee shop and just talking. So as I'm sitting at the keyboard typing, I'm just saying what would fall out of my mouth for good or for bad. So tell me about, you know, why write a book? I mean, you're, you're quite busy enough as a, as a photographer, as a, as, a, as a father and a husband raising a family. Why decide to, to put out a book? Because you certainly didn't, didn't have to. But what, what inspired you to, to share some of the content that you've, you've shared in li- online and in person in the form of a, of a book? Well, it, it all started uh, four or five years ago or so. I... I did a guest blog post for Scott Kelby and I made this little video called transform. And, um, I was out on the far edges of the photography industry radar at that point in my life. And when I made that blog post, it kind of dropped me into the middle of the radar. Um, I I didn't know it would have that effect and, uh, I should turn my phone off, shouldn't I? So I made that blog post and I was approached by three or four book publishers uh, soon after that saying, hey, we'd love for you to do a book. And, um, you know, that was very nice. But I I told all of them like, well, I don't really have anything to write a book about. Um, That's something I'd like to do at some point, you know, kind of a, a bucket list item is write a book about photography. Uh, but I'm busy and I have a lot going on and I don't feel that I could add anything to the bookshelf of anyone right now. So thanks, but no thanks. Uh, but uh, this one editor, Ted Waite with Peach Pit, um, was just a really great guy and we, we hit it off right away. And he just 
was very consistent and kind of, you know, kept up with me and touched base. And what I told Ted is that, you know, if I, if I ever get an idea for a book, I'm going to show up in your office with the book nearly done because you, you know, writing books that you sign that contract, the clock starts ticking and then there's no going back and, and you don't want to miss a deadline. And, um, it's a lot of pressure. Uh, so, so I started the Q and a blog last summer and I had this goal of, I was going to answer 1000 questions and I got to somewhere around answer 700 or 800. And I kind of sat back from my computer and I thought, I think I just wrote a book. <laughs> uh, what if I could start compiling some of this information? Um, so I compiled some things. I threw some sample chapters together, um, sent over a proposal to Ted and, um, they liked it and we started working on it in December of last year. And, um, yeah. And now it's out in print. What I really like about the book is that, that is, is the level of honesty and sincerity that comes across here. Um, you hear a lot of photographers who, you know, stand at a mic and sort of pontificate about, mm -hmm. you know, what photography is, what it should be. And I, I think that you really touch on some things that aren't often discussed, which are really important, and, and, and really just sort of spell it out that, that if people want to make the choice to make photography a, a part of their lives, they really have to to be really honest with themselves in terms of what they're thinking they want to do and what they're actually doing each day to, to build towards that. Um, was that something that was really clear to you as you were responding to the questions or as you said, as you started compiling them, you started realizing that that was going to be a big part of what the book was about? Um, well, I, I think, you know, just from the blog standpoint and, you know, I, I have, been known to stand in front of those microphones and pontificate that's for sure um, but through my experiences as a photographer I think I write about photography and interact with other photographers in a way where I'm talking to myself 10 or 15 years ago and I'm saying the things that I wanted to hear or I needed to hear or I wished I would have hear you know have heard um, and there are a lot of times I'm answering a question going, I need to be doing this myself. I am as guilty of what this person is asking as they are. And I'm, I'm talking to myself and I'm not so far down the photographic path that I don't remember what it was like at the beginning. You know, when you have a camera and you're taking pictures and you really love it and you're really passionate about it and you've got stars in your eyes, but you have, like no idea how to get started. You, you see people up the food chain, but you don't know how to connect those dots backwards to how you could get there yourself. Right. I, I would assist photographers and they're working for these great clients and, and, and like, how did you get there? How did you get from buying a camera going, Ooh, I like photography. I want to do this to having this great client in front of you today. Like, how did that process happen for you? And it, it felt unreached, you know, like unreachable. Like, and so when I talk to other photographers, I am trying to answer questions that um, I wanted to hear. One of the things I think that I appreciate about what you do is that when I hear or I see other photographers who have sort of reached quote unquote success, they seem to come off as okay you re that you'll reach a point where fear insecurity doubt and struggle uh move by the wayside where it all becomes gravy and <laughs> even though that's not true that's no. that's a perception that you get from a lot of these you know big name f photographers and i think that one of the things that's really refreshing about uh what you do how you express yourself and and share is that you 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 admit that all those things are always there, that that's really part of the creative life and that it's really how you contend with it that really allows you to, to, to grow and, and, and to progress. 
Um, and I think there's a hesitancy, hesitancy, particularly with people who are, are, are trying to maintain a sort of reputation that they shouldn't readily, readily admit that. But it doesn't seem like it's much of an issue for you, at least for the most part. No, um, if you would have met me 12 or 14 years ago, and we were at some photography industry thing, and you just said, hey, Zach, what do you do? What would have come out of my mouth would have been the fake it till you make it kind of speech. I, I, um, I kind of uh, polished up things I was doing to sound better than they were. Um, I, I, would, I basically projected a veneer that was 10 feet tall in front of me. So that you would think, wow, that guy, Zach, he's really hustling. He's really got it going on. And my entire life fell apart. And, you know, and you think, well, I'm trying to put this perception of success out there so that people will go, hey, this is a successful person. I can hire them or trust them uh, because they're successful and competent. Um, You know, all the time I'm the little guy behind the, the curtain um, sweating and I'm nervous and I'm insecure and I don't know what I'm doing and and I thought I was building the proper perception and when it all came falling down and I had a chance to come back to photography um, one of the things I had decided to do at that that point in my life was just be honest with people and if you know if I was struggling then I was going to struggle you know and I wasn't going to be this cynical negative person or the you know the guy just like staring at my feet going oh poor me you know like oh I'm so bad and I'm not good and I suck and you know I I didn't want to be that person Uh, I I at least want to hold my head high even if I'm you know neck deep in shit Um, but I'm going to let you know hey I'm neck deep in shit you know and um I think somebody in the industry who really gave me like freedom to be able to, to talk that way was Joe McNally. Um, because Joe, Joe lays it all out there. He's, he's 110% honest about things. Um, he doesn't try to paint a perception of, you know, his amazing career. Um, he'll be first to point out his trials and his tribulations and the things he struggles with. Uh, before he'll ever point out, you know, the success he's had. And I really admire, uh, I really admire that. Well, one of the things about your story is that you, you, this is your second iteration as a, as a photographer. Yes. You had, you had a, you tried uh, the first time and as you have yourself admitted, you ended up failing. It just ended up falling apart. And as well as, you know, as in, in that mix, you were, your first marriage ended. And so yep. there was just a lot of stuff that was on your shoulders that, that made you walk away from that first career as a photographer. And I think that the fact that you came back and tried again is, is a great, is, is part of your story, is what makes your story so great for me. Because a lot of people fear the kind of failure that you experienced. And you almost didn't come back, but... Tell us about why you why you did and how that experience of going through you know the experience of your first marriage and the, the failure of your, your first attempt at a photo, photo, photography business sort of helped shape what you ended up doing now. Well, I often say that I'm a photographer because that's the only thing I know how to do. Um, photography is all I have uh, to do with my life. Um, I, I, I don't have a bachelor's degree or, um, you know, a a great pedigree of a family to fall back on. My dad worked for the phone company for 30 something years. My mom was, uh, kind of a housewife and then, uh, went on to work once the kids got out of the house. Um, I'll never be a vice president of a bank. I'll never be in real estate sales. So my option to go out into the world and work uh, is typically walking in a place, asking for an application and filling it out. And I hope I get a job. So places like Starbucks or, you know, FedEx Kinko's or, you know, a, a warehouse job or a temp service that 
that's kind of my my work um, history. And when photography failed for me and I had to walk away from it and I had to go get a job, um, I just did the walk in, asked for an application and, and, you know, got a job at Kinko's and I thought, well, I'll get on the management track. I'll get in the management training program. Maybe one day I can, you know, manage a store and maybe one day get up to district manager or something like that. And I'll just, I'll build a life at a company. And I was miserable in thinking about that. And it's not what I wanted to do with my life, but I found my priorities were family and, and being a dad and, and photography took over those priorities, um, became my number one priority in my life. So it had to kind of die. Um, but you can you can only sit there and make copies for so long when you just say this is this is it this is my life and I can't do this and my dear 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 friend Mark Climy, uh, photographer here in Atlanta, was shooting weddings and asked if I'd come shoot weddings with him as a second shooter, and I said sure. I mean I never wanted to shoot weddings that was something that I avoided, uh, but why not? You know, I'll make a little extra money on the weekends. I'll get to take pictures again. And in October of 2003, he set me loose at a wedding and I quit my job the next week. Um, because it, it, it was like I had been underwater and someone finally grabbed me and pulled me up and let me breathe again. It's, it, my life can be falling apart, but if I can be taking a picture, all the stress, all problems all the busyness just falls away and it, it's it's all I got so I have to make it happen and um, I learned from my mistakes um, you know and I've been you know 10 years now as a photographer freelance full-time and um, it's great but what, but what allowed you to do that? Because it's like, it's one thing to kind of know, this is what I'm meant to do. And I, I have to make this happen. But there are so many reasons why many people don't end up doing that. Because like you, they have a family, they got a, they got bills to pay. They, they, they go, I've got the res these responsibilities. I can't afford to go out there and do these dreams, even though I feel like I can't afford not to. So, you know, when you're on the, on the crux of that, that moment, what allowed you to, to make that leap? Because that is quite a leap because you didn't know whether or not you'd succeed the second time around. I think what really allowed me to make that leap that a lot of people, uh, struggle with is that I was living in a crappy cheap apartment. I had a beat up car that my friend Mark had just given to me this old Volvo wagon um, I didn't have a mortgage and a second mortgage and two car payments and a boat payment and four credit cards and, you know, tuition for kids coming up in a few years and a daughter to get married soon, you know, huge financial obligations tied to me. I, I had none of that. I was in a cheap apartment with a cheap car with a three-year-old. Um, and my ability to just scrape by was was fairly easy then uh, because I, I didn't have massive financial obligations on my shoulders. Someone who's married, who has three kids, who has a mortgage, who, you know, makes a comfortable living in a day job, um, who really wants to be a photographer, they have to, if they're going to continue that lifestyle and make the jump, that jump is far bigger than the jump I had to make because I was working for eight or 10 bucks an hour. You've got someone who's making $85,000 a year and they want to make the jump. You know, that's evil Knievel jump across the Grand Canyon kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, where me, I was, you know, I didn't have to make as big of a leap. I didn't have to make as much money from the start. Uh, so I think that's one thing that helped me. And that's one thing that I, I try to encourage, you know, people who are thinking about making this jump is like, look, you got to get out of debt. 
I went in, I went heavily into debt the first round, uh, buying cameras and lights and all this crap. Uh, I went into debt. Um, you know, I had a car payment. Um, you know, I tell people slash your expenses. Don't go to Starbucks, only drink beer on Fridays, um, get rid of cable, sell your car, you know, do everything you can to cut your lifestyle. Um, because it, it, you know, photography can be lucrative, but usually most likely, and especially for your first 10 years, it's not going to be. Um, so you have to keep a, a, a pretty tight belt on your expenses. You have a great response to one of the questions near the tail end of the book, um, where you encourage the, the, the writer to, to sell the Xbox. You know, because it seems like he and a lot of other people have a lot of excuses as to why they can't do something. Yeah. And, and and it's not not everyone, but I think part of it is that there's a certain comfort level that we all have, and there and we get attached to a lot of things that really aren't necessarily important towards making us happy in our lives, but we hold on to them because they're comfortable, or right. just because we're accustomed to them. And, and sometimes those are the very things you have to let go of if you want to create something revolving around photography and creativity into, in, into your life. It seems like there's only so much space that you gotta you can fit into a box. And if you really want something, you have to be willing to throw out some things in order to make space for something something new. Agreed. Yeah, I, I you know, I think back to all the years I wasted doing just dumb stuff. You know, and, and, you know, right now in my life, I don't watch television. You know, some of the, some of the big TV shows that everyone talks about, I haven't seen a single episode of ever. Um, because I, I, you know, spend time with my family and I work on my photography and I spend time with my family and I work on my photography and I spend time on my family. And there are times that I just wish I could go home and have dinner and sit down in front of the television and just you know, space out and watch television till midnight and go to bed and then have a regular job and know where my next paycheck's coming from. But I know how miserable I would be and I know how much fuller my life is um, working on something that I'm going to do for the rest of my life. You know, I, I hope I'm like Avedon. I hope I'm 80 years old and on assignment and taking pictures and then fall over dead. Um, that's how I want to go and playing Xbox and, you know, just playing Xbox is not going to get me there. And someone can spend 20 hours a week playing video games or they can spend 20 hours a week working on their photography. Um, you know, I see people buy cars and they have a really nice car, but it's like you could sell that car and you could go travel the world. And if you didn't have a car payment, it'd be easier for you to quit your job and do that. But yeah. now you have this car payment, you're kind of stuck having to work your job um, because you've built this lifestyle of comfort around you and it's keeping you from your dreams, but yet you've built your own little prison, you know, and you're wasting your time. We've got one life and you better make the damn most of it. And now I'd like to take the time to thank our sponsor, Squarespace. Now, ever since I created my website using the service, which you can find at abarianx.net, it's been a real pleasure to give people my URL and know that when they go to the site, they're going to have a great experience in terms of being able to see my images, whether it's on a computer, whether it's on a tablet or, or an iPhone. The images just, just look great. And Squarespace is constantly improving that platform with new features, new designs, and even better support. They have these, these designs for you to start with and all the style options you need to create a unique website for yourself and, and your business. And, and the wonderful thing about it is their support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So if you have any questions or uh, concerns, they're right there with you to help you out. And that's wonderful. But go find out for yourself. To start a free trial, there's no credit card needed. Just go to the website and start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code CANDIDFRAME8 to get 10% off and to show your support for the show. We thank Squarespace for the support of the Candid Frame. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. Yeah. 
you were um, those early years must have been a, a bit of a struggle. But did you find that you had a sort of a moment of epiphany where not so much that you thought, okay, I, I, I'll make it as a photographer, but that sort of that that created an awareness. Oh, I'm doing this, and I don't want to let this go. I'm I'm I I think I can really pull this off. Was there a certain moment, an assignment, or a certain period where all of a sudden you felt like that you were gaining some momentum in terms of what you were doing? Or did that really just come all sort of gradually and you were just focusing from one job to the next? I I would say it was was more gradual, um, but I'd also say that I still feel that anxiety. I still... Uh, well, we'll go back. So the very first year, I quit my job at Kinko's. I, I, my motto was, I'll shoot anything but porn. Um, so anything from weddings to family portraits to products to whatever you want. If you've got 25 bucks, you can pay me some money. I'll take some pictures for you. You know, whatever I can do to get some gas in the car and some Cheerios on the table, um, I'm going to do it. And I went to a friend's show and I shot a picture um, of them playing one night, this uh, band, Red Letter Agent. And the next day I'm going through the pictures and one picture kind of stood out and it made me go over to Google and type music photographer. And I decided, you know, from that picture that I was going to pursue music photography. I started researching and researching and researching music photography. And I quickly found there wasn't a lot of money um, to be made in live music photography, shooting, you know, performances and concerts. And there were tons of people with digital cameras at shows and concerts taking pictures. And as I researched bands in Atlanta and through the Southeast, I I found their their portrait photographs, their their press kit photos were horrible. Just absolutely horrendous pictures of this band or artist. And I decided that's the that's what I want to go after. I think that's something I can offer. Um, I can shoot portraits. I've always loved environmental portraiture. I've always loved editorial work. I'm going to bring editorial style photography to local bands. And it was a, a big struggle for the first year because, you know, you know, I'm going after local bands and musicians to pay my rent. And you can't think of a more broke group of people who have no money. Um, but I started, I just hustled and hustled and hustled. And I treated every $50 job like it was a $5,000 job. I treated every job like it was the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. And what I found is that we spend money on what we value. You know, like I know a lot of photographers who are broke and don't have any money, but they have $10,000 worth of equipment. And you can, you can meet some local musicians and they have no money, but they have a $5,000 guitar. They have a $3,000 amp. They have, you know, $2,000 worth of T-shirts. They have $1,000 worth of pressed EPs for sale. You know, drummers have five, six, seven, ten thousand $10,000 drum kits. They're broke and they look like they haven't had a meal in a week, but they have a $10,000 drum kit. And when you build value for something, you know, uh, you can, you can get, people will figure out how to pay for it. And it took me a solid, solid year of just pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and pushing it in Atlanta, staying very focused. And I I did whatever I could on the side. I still shot weddings. Um, I shot weddings with my friend Mark for like seven years. Um, I shot family portraits. Any job I could pick up, I took it. Um, But I stayed heavily focused on the music industry. If you went to my website, all you saw was music portraiture that's that's it and after about a year i felt it turn um i photographed a, a band here in atlanta who was kind of the big buzz band of the day 
Um, I shot their press kit photos. And when those photos came out, I, I, I could look back at that one specific band. When their photos hit the streets in Atlanta, my phone really started to ring and I started getting consistent work from that point on. Um, and it, it grew to the point that the truly indie rock musicians wouldn't shoot with me because everybody shot with me. And I, wow. I almost turned into like an Olin Mills of band photography because I was shooting so many bands. Well, one of the stories you have in your, in your book is about seeing Jack White perform. Yeah. And, and how that sort of changed or elevated your perspective in terms of what you wanted to be as a, as a photographer. Can you share that story? And what was it about seeing him perform that, that was such, such a special moment for you? Um, I, so I was, yeah, he was playing, a, the White Stripes were playing a big music festival here in town. And um, I had a press pass and you could shoot the first three songs. Um, so you're, you're, you know, corralled into the pit just before the band takes stage. They take the stage, they play three songs. And when that last note of that third song is played, you all are corralled out and off you go. And you can't, you can't go into the crowd and keep shooting or anything. You're done. And I liked the White Stripes, but I wasn't like this huge White Stripes fan. I wasn't super familiar with all their music. But when Jack White took the stage, and I've seen a ton of bands, I've seen a ton of musicians perform. When he took the stage and started playing, I realized that there was something different about him. There was something like a mad scientist about him, like, like the person of Jack White checked out and this other persona came forward like a crossroads at midnight deal with the devil kind of thing. And he played with such intensity and passion. I shot the first two songs and then I just fell to the back of the pit and I just watched him. And he just he blew my mind and and I walked out of that pit thinking I want that for my photography and his his guitar playing isn't clean and perfect and technical um, you know and after doing lots of research on Jack White and listening to interviews and watching it might get loud and all the other things that Jack White's done like he plays cheap equipment and minimal gear and and that really kind of spoke to uh, my philosophy of it's, you know, it's not about the gear. You don't, you don't have to have the perfect gear and all the best gear in the world. Um, I know photographers who can be very technical, but they have the most boring photographs in the world. And there's, there's no soul, there's no grit, there's no life in their photography, but it's perfectly lit and exposed. It's just boring as hell. And you can't look at Jack White and go, he's boring. You know, um, but he sure isn't technical. And I'm, I'm still trying to unpack that. Um, and that was six, seven years ago or something. And I'm still trying to unpack, but it, but it, it it's, it's, I want photography to be more organic. I've worked so hard on the technical aspect. And I love the technical aspect of photography. I love lighting and I love nailing exposure and I love getting it right in camera. But to the point of missing that organic emotion that, that I, I, I'd rather pull out. But when that organic emotion happens, I want it to be well lit and shot well. Does that make any sense? No, it makes perfect sense. And it seems that you're tapping into sort of that sort of sensibility with the street photography that you've been doing as of late. Because yeah. there, there's there's a complete rawness. There's an unpredictability that's happening there that isn't so dependent on the equipment or the lighting. It's just you, the camera, and and the scene. And, and there is no perfectness you know, like you could achieve in, in, in a studio, that sort of rawness that you're talking about in Jack White's performance is something that you can find in, in the street photography. So, so 
am I, you know, am I on point in thinking that? Absolutely. And I would say that street photography has saved my life as a photographer in the last few years. Um, and it's, it's something if right now in my life where I'm looking at things, all I want to do with the rest of my life is shoot street and portraits. That's all I want to do is just street and portraits. I love portraiture and I love street photography. And I struggle with the street photography thing because I believe that it's one genre in our industry that's kind of a, a brotherhood or a sisterhood. Um, you know, you can go shoot portraits and you're, hey, you're a portrait photographer. But just because you're out shooting on the streets doesn't, I think, make you immediately a street photographer. I think that's still one of those little niches of our industry that you've got to earn that respect. You've got to earn that title. And um, at least that's just how it is in my brain. Um, I, I don't know if that's true or not, you know, but, um, but I love street photography for that. It's, it's not perfect. It's not staged. You have no control over it. And, and you're hoping that the light and composition and moment all come together in a shot. And, and you're, you're, it's this constant weird balance that you, you're just hoping is going to happen in front of you today. So how are you taking that, that experience, that sort of spontaneous, um, sort of improvis improvisational feel that you have on the streets when you're doing, you know, your editorial and, and your commercial work? Because I think it sounds to me that you felt like you're you're falling into a little bit of a rut with the other work and that the street photography helped to sort of freshen things up a little bit. But how did you sort of, or are you trying to take that, that experience that you have on the street and bring it to when you're working with uh, a portrait subject or a band in the studio or on location? I have a real difficult time trying to translate it to the studio. Um, and I think in some ways I, that would be an exercise in futility to try to make that happen because the street and the studio are such two completely different worlds it would be easier for me to take the studio to the street by having assistants run around with soft boxes, chasing people, you know, mm. or something like that. But, you know, one thing that I'll do is, is let's say a band were to come in today and say, okay, you know, we want some press kit photos and, and band photos. Um, one thing I would do is we'd shoot in studio and then we'd go out on location somewhere. And I would say, all right, we're going to start here. And I, there's a Starbucks or a coffee shop or a bar, you know, six blocks down the street. I want you guys to just start walking to that bar and just hang out and walk and be yourselves and talk amongst each other or whatever, whatever you want to do from here to that bar or that coffee shop. And I'm going to be kind of off circling. I'll go across the street. I'll be hanging around a corner. I'll, I'll just be sort of following and moving in and out shooting while you guys walk down the street. So that allows, um, you know, me to get some kind of candid type photos of a, of an artist or a band, um, that kind of translates, you know, to the street work. Um, you know, and the, there's stuff I want to do in corporate photography. I'm trying to figure that out right now that, isn't attached to street, but it's more attached to fine art and dark and moody and black and white. And I'd love to take that to corporate photography, but I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what that means and what that looks like. And I've been shooting tests and um, stuff over the past year, trying to figure that out. You know, you get this idea. I want dark, moody corporate photography. Well, what does that look like? Well, it's dark and moody. But how do you really do it? Uh, I don't know. You know, so that's something I'm trying to figure out. But it doesn't have anything to do with street, I don't think. Yeah. Well, it, your family it plays a real important role in everything you do, and, and particularly your wife, who you've been doing those um, photo critiques that you've been posting on YouTube for a while. And she's not a photographer, but she's she's a singer. And yes. uh, and I'm wondering how having another creative force in in the family has helped you, and also how it may have been 
challenging in some ways because I know that as a result of raising a family, she kind of has put her music uh, to the side to to a degree. But how does all of that sort of influence and impact what you what you choose to do or choose not to do? Um, she has put her music aside to a huge degree to like it's just nothing is going on with her music right now because when she hitched her wagon to mine um you know my career was taking off and um you know was getting established where hers is you know if if people think being a photographer is hard you should try to be a musician that's all i can say like musicians have one of the hardest jobs in the world if you want to sustain yourself being a musician that is one of the hardest jobs out there in the creative industry. But it's Meg is amazing. She's a sounding board. She is that organic artist, um, you know, not super technical with anything that she does, but she does things by feel and by gut. Um, you know, she embodies that sort of Jack White creativity far more than I do. So she's a big influence to me in that realm um it's it's very difficult it's difficult for her to be she's someone who's creative and she sees me going out and getting to walk in what i do and what i feel like you know i'm made to do while she herself has had to you know put all of that on the back burner and let it go um and it's a huge struggle and we have huge conversations about it. And she supports me in every single thing I do. And I support her as well. But when you get down to the logistics of it, of, you know, I pay the bills and she manages the house and our four boys. If she were to go on tour for six weeks, we don't know how we could survive. Um, you know, because... Her being on the road for six weeks would not make the same amount of income as me working for six weeks. But I have to kind of hop on planes or go wherever the job takes me. So I have to be ready to go at a moment's notice. And if I were to just say, oh, over the next six weeks, I'm not going to take any jobs, that you know would hurt our bottom line. So I don't know, man. We, we haven't found a balance. We're just trying to find a rhythm. Hmm. It's tough. It's really, really, really tough. Well, you've you've had the opportunity to be among photographers. You mentioned Joe McNally earlier. Um, you have also had the opportunity to be with um, Gregory Heisler, Joel, and you know a lot of different photographers who are at different stages of their of their career. And having access to those people, I think, is is really beneficial. Not so much because you can learn photographic things from them, but you can often learn things about how to lead your life that that prove helpful i found that that's been the case for me and i'm wondering what have been those takeaways from you from having the opportunity to be along around those those people you know probably the one greatest photo event i look forward to every year is golf photo plus out in dubai and i've had just the amazing honor to be able to teach there for uh, the past four, four years now, four or five years. And, um, you go, you teach all day, you work 10, 12 hour days teaching classes and being on location. And, and then at night, all the teachers get together at this bar at the hotel the restaurant and have dinner and drinks. And I tell you, man, it's, I am the kid at the adult table <laughs> and you've got you know, Vincent Laferay and Joe McNally and Greg Heisler and David Burnett and, you know, Bobby Lane and these, these folks who've been around the block and they're sharing stories and they're talking about life. You know, they're not, you know, talking about the new softbox they bought or the, you know, how sharp this lens is or they're just talking about life and experiences and, and, being able to just sit and have a drink and talk to Joe McNally about being a dad and trying to be a husband. I mean, I, I've, I've been in tears just sitting at a table with Joe 
you know, listening to his struggles. And, and he's really been like a life mentor to me. Um, and, you know, I, I don't care how he lights or what camera he shoots with or anything. The fact that he's been doing this for, you know, as long as he has and has struggled and has lost a marriage and, you know, has struggled as a father um, and is, is still alive and kicking and, and doing it is that's the kind of people I want around me and I want to learn from and just, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, having access to some of these folks is, it's just, it's a, it's on a personal level is amazing. Yeah. Well, you, you, your kids are obviously very important to you. you. You often talk about them on your, on your blog. And I know for me, when I was growing up, um, I didn't really have a real appreciation for what my dad did. My dad was a pressman for, mm-hmm. for 30 plus years. And it wasn't until years after he stopped working that I realized not only what he was doing for his family, but sort of the, um, what a craftsman he was after the fact. And I know that you had a, a special relationship with your father and, and he didn't have the opportunity to see all the success that you've, you've, you've had. But when you think about your sons, what are you hoping that, you know, in the future when they're grown, when they're grown up, that they take a look at, when they take a look at what you've accomplished and what you've done besides, you know, you wanting them to think of you as, as a good father, but as an artist and as, as a creative person, what are you, what are you hoping that they, they take away when they take a, when they take a look at your body of work and, and what you've, what you've accomplished? Wow. Let's get deep on Monday. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, you're gonna make me cry. Um, I, I don't, I, I hope, I hope my kids look at me and say, you know, my dad really cared. And even though he had to like travel and go do things, he, he worked hard for us. And when he was home, he was home, you know, and, you know, I, I guess I want them to see that, you know, I was willing to take risks. Um, I, I was willing to, pursue what I wanted to do, but always making sure that they're covered, you know, not, not sacrificing them in order so that I could get what I wanted, you know, but I, I found a balance of I'm doing what I want to do, but I'm making sure that you kids are covered and, and that I, you know, that I reached out to people that, that I was an open book, that I helped people that, you know, I have this goal that before I die, I want to shoot a cover of Rolling Stone magazine, but I have it in my head that I'll most likely help somebody shoot the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. You know, it's going to be like a Mr. Holland's opus for me. Um, I want to be a photographer. I want to go down in the history books as a photographer, but um, sometimes folks tell me the best thing I do is teaching Um, and and sometimes I need to just embrace that. And sometimes I feel like that's an insult. Um, and sometimes I'm embarrassed by that. But I do want to help people. And I know how frustrating this craft is. And I know how rewarding this craft is. And I know there are a lot of personalities and marketers and companies that are constantly throwing a lot of noise at you as a photographer. And I, I'd like to be that one voice of signal that can, you know, hey, I understand your frustration. I know what you're going through. You're not alone. And let me help you get through this because I'm, de- I'm dealing with it as well. Yeah. You know, I, I want to be that guy. And, um, but I still want to be a photographer. Um, I, I, I want to be a great photographer and um, I don't think I'm there yet. Well, I have a great appreciation for the work that you do both as a photographer and a teacher and uh, you know, being able to do both is a rare talent. There are some great photographers who can't teach out of a paper bag 
Yeah. And there are some great teachers who can't shoot for, for, for much of anything. Yeah. But the fact that you have a passion and a sincerity in your, in your work, whether you're teaching or whether you're shooting, I think is very special. And I think that the universe can't help but to reward that. And, uh, and I know that you have your doubts, but from, from my point of view, I have no doubt that you'll succeed in both ways and maybe some ways you didn't even expect. But, oh, um, thanks. My pleasure, man. And uh, well, my last question is, as I ask each guest to recommend one other photographer for our listeners to discover and explore, and it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Um, oh, cheapers. One. Oh, I'm going to like make people angry. <laughs> um, you know what? I'm going to say Kareem Black out of New York. Like, I really want to meet Kareem. Um, I, uh, he has this project called Feels Good, Let's Go. Um, you can go to feelsgoodletsgo.com. I recently mentioned him to someone on my Q&A blog. Um, his work is great. I believe he's got an interesting story. I've heard little bits and pieces from other people that kind of maybe heard other things. And at some point... I want to sit down with Kareem and have a coffee or a beer. And like, I want to hear his story. I love his work. Um, I, I, I love the mindset that seems to be going on in the, in his life. Um, I, I would say Kareem black you need to look him up. Right. Well, that's, uh, that's a good suggestion. I, I'm not familiar with his work and I look forward to checking it out myself, but hey, Zach, get him on your show. Okay. I'll, I'll make, I'll make it happen. <laughs> all right Zach. thank you so much it was it was worth the wait to finally get you on well thank you so much i really appreciate um you having me on and um yeah you've got a great show and uh you're like one of the top podcasts out there for photography ever so you're doing amazing work thank you man thank you as we continue to grow the show and expand our offerings here at the candid frame your support is invaluable and you can show that support in a variety of different ways. You can make small donations using PayPal. A link for that you'll find at the candidframe.com website, where donations of $5, $10, $20, or even more are greatly appreciated and go a long way to helping us improve the show. You can also post reviews on the iTunes web store, which help our rankings and create more awareness about the great program that we offer here. The show's editor is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is provided by Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. Till next time, this is Ibarian X. Perello, and this is The Candid Frame.